Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters, the remnant. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are going to talk a lot about education and the Christian worldview today. Does God have an opinion? What does the Bible teach about education, about raising our children, Christian children, with that biblical worldview? We're going to talk to an expert today, and we're thankful to have him on in just a minute. Lord, Uh, We have so many important things that we could discuss, and every day we just ask that you give us wisdom, and as we approach each subject, God, um, lead the way. Holy Spirit, please guide our conversation and prepare the hearts of people that need to be encouraged, informed, maybe challenged. But Father, help us all keep your word in its proper place in our lives. Help us to seek first your kingdom so that we will not be overwhelmed by the world by what's happening around us. And God, we know that this country and the world is not definitely not uh, going in your direction. We pray that as Christians, we would be the salt and light that could impact and influence those around us toward godliness and toward salvation. That's why we're here. Lord, help us to learn and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and help us to apply what we know from Scripture to how we live our daily lives and how we see our culture in this country. And God, help us be patient with others who either don't want to get it or just um, have gone the wrong way. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's guest is Israel Wayne. He's an author, a homeschooling expert. He's the director of Family Renewal. He has a passion for defending the Christian faith and, of course, promoting a biblical worldview. He's authored many books, including homeschooling from a biblical worldview, full-time parenting, a guide to family-based discipleship, and I've got two of them right in front of me here, answers for homeschooling, top 25 questions critics ask, and uh, one of them I just picked up today, education, does God have an opinion? Israel Wayne, thank you so much for your time today on Stand Up For The Truth. Oh, hey, David. It's great to be back on your show. Hey, thank you. Well, I want to get right to the topic. Um, well, wait a minute. Before we do, I, I, we went over to your Facebook page, and you've got some provocative posts, and uh, people can find you on Facebook. Just look up uh, Israel Wayne, at Israel Wayne Author. And a couple things that I agree on completely, wholeheartedly, I just want to quote a couple of these lengthy posts, your most recent ones, you say this, and then we can talk about it, because this always leads back to education, not only in schools, of course, but the biblical worldview, uh, educating people on the Bible. You say, I hear many self-proclaimed prophets promoting victory and success for America in the days days ahead. I don't see it. Why should God grant more mercy on a nation that has rejected his grace— and scorned his generous hand. I'm not making an omniscient claim to know the future, but based on everything I see, even known metric, every known metric available on the horizon, America is not on the verge of a spiritual awakening and revival. If I were to venture to guess, I'd suggest we are more likely on the verge of being taken to the woodshed for an old-fashioned butt whooping. And that would be from God. Uh, That's a quote from Israel Wayne. I would just love for you to share more of your thoughts. What led you to write about this, starting it off with why there is no spiritual awakening on the horizon for America? I mean, we're praying for revival. We're praying that the church would wake up. We can't expect the culture to, the godless secular culture to, when the church is lukewarm. But what are your thoughts? Sure. Well, I appreciate you uh, asking the question and raising this important topic. Um, We've just entered into a new year here in 2021, and we've come off of a very difficult year in which a lot of people are very discouraged. Many people are depressed. They're 
struggling with just, you know, how this whole last year has totally reshaped our nation. It's redefined our, our lives in practical ways. And so a lot of Christian leaders now are coming out with their statements here at the beginning of the year, sort of forecasting and prognosticating what they believe 2021 is going to look like. And people keep sending me these video links of Mm -hmm. these prominent Christian leaders talking about how 2021 is going to be this, you know, great year breakthrough for America. And we're going to have this great national revival and God's going to bring, you know, all this uh, wonderful prosperity to the church and to America and so forth. And, you know, when I look at just different metrics and I list a few of those in the blog post, um, I, I see us trending in the wrong direction. I don't see us trending up. <laughs> I see us trending down in so many ways. Uh, one of the bigger concerns to me is the infiltration of the cultural Marxist ideologies into the most prominent seminaries in the United States, mm-hmm. you know, particularly the denominations of the Presbyterian Church in America, the PCA, that's the conservative evangelical branch of the Presbyterian Church, and the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, Both of these seminaries now are uh, teaching, or both denominations have their top seminaries teaching critical theory, uh, social justice, uh, critical race theory, intersectionality, uh, these concepts come straight out of cultural Marxism. They're not biblical concepts. They're actually anti-scriptural concepts. And yet uh, the next generation of pastors are being trained and indoctrinated in these worldviews. We've also seen a shift in terms of some of the stalwart Christian media outlets that people have looked to for answers and direction and so forth over the past you know, 70 years even, um, they're, they're strongly leaning left now, promoting social justice and intersectionality and some of those ideas. And, and then, you know, there's so many other uh, areas that I could point to. I work in the Christian publishing industry. Um, there's so much compromise in terms of the message that, that gets put out there. I just saw the, the top best-selling books of the last year. And, and once again, it's just a disappointing or assortment of you know, compromise on the one hand where, you know, some of the books even promote a false gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them are okay. They're not terrible, uh, but they're also just kind of weak and they don't really say much. And so, you know, basically what Christians are getting for the most part when they go buy the, the top best-selling Christian books is either a, an apostate false gospel or just some milk toast, watered-down uh, mediocre message that doesn't have any meat and substance in it. And, and then you look at the scandals that we've had just in the last couple of years of some of the most notable Christian leaders. It's like they're falling like dominoes through moral failure. Mm. And then take the fact that 85% of Christian parents send their children to atheistic, humanistic, government-run, government-controlled schools where the children are taught relativism, that there is no absolute truth. They're, they're taught gender rebellion. Mm-hmm. They are taught uh, socialism. They're taught uh, evolutionary Darwinism. Uh, and they're, they're in, just saturated in that for like 10,800 hours between kindergarten and 12th grade. Uh, and, and so when I look at just some of those indices and I see um, – an acceptance of it, and I see a championing of it, and I see a defense of it, uh, a defense of, of that status quo, mm-hmm. if you will, that, you know, as the Scripture said in Jeremiah, uh, the prophets, you know, the prophets prophesy falsely, and my people love it this way. It's kind of what I see within the Christian church. There's not a righteous indignation about what's happening within the church. We get all worked up about what's going on in culture, and we're against abortion, we're against homosexuality, we're against transgenderism, and all of those things out there somewhere. But those are the fruits. That's not really the ultimate root problem. The Mm. root problem is that the Church has become like the world. That's the problem. And until we deal with the root, 
we can't expect the fruit to change. And so what I see is I see people with a BB gun shooting at the fruit. I don't really see people willing to take an ax to the root of the tree, which is the fact that the world has become, the world has infiltrated the church and the church has become like the world and loves it that way. And until we deal with that problem, I just don't see any revival on the horizon. I think most, I'm guessing, uh, most of our listeners would agree with you. I, I certainly do, and sadly, um, I do. But um, this is where we're at as a church, and I love the way you put that. We're, uh, we, we need to look at the root in, before we look at the fruit. We see some of the fruit on the surface, but the root. And we have generally conformed to the world, uh, Romans 12, too. I, I also like what you said, uh, Israel, about... A lot of Christian books today, uh, so-called, I mean, you could put them under psychology or self-help or motivational, but isn't that how so many churches approach preaching on Sundays now, more of a motivational pep talk, like uh, how to feel better about life and about yourself and be happy? There, I don't see that in the gospel, in the biblical worldview, but this is what we've come to talk about in our churches generally. Yeah, absolutely. Even New Age ideologies, like the law of attraction, you know, that you just speak positive energy out in the universe, and the universe sends positive energy back your way. Hmm. That's a New Age concept, and yet we hear that promoted by Christian talking heads on television all the time. Yep. You just speak your destiny into existence, you know, whatever you want, you just speak it, and God sends it your way. Now, that doesn't come out of Scripture, that comes out of New Age doctrine, and, and pastors jump on the bandwagon with it. And there's just not enough discernment within the church, uh, because biblical literacy is so low. I mean, I saw a statistic that I think was from the American uh, Bible Association that said that daily Bible reading in America dropped from 14% to 9% in one year. You know, five percentage points across the whole nation between 2019 and 2020. I mean, uh, we're not trending well. And and what I think is when we talk about revival, what most Christians mean when they say, you know, we're praying for revival, we want God to send revival, Mm -hmm. is they want God to just come and magically zap the situation and fix everything. So all the bad guys go away, all the bad stuff disappears, and all of a sudden we have this utopia that we live in, and and God just supernaturally does it all on his own, and we don't have to do anything. But there is a method, there's a prescribed method, method for how Christianity is supposed to grow and thrive, and it, it's this. It's very simple, but it's the faithful proclamation of a true gospel, the preaching of a true gospel. That's point number one. Hmm. Point number two is discipleship. It is, uh, you know, after we've done the evangelism part, we do the discipleship where we actually help people to grow in their walk with Christ, to grow in sanctification, to grow in holiness. And then the the multi-generational transfer of faith, where that discipleship takes place even in our own homes, and we have a transfer of faith from generation to generation to generation. Right now what we're seeing is a false gospel being promoted, almost no discipleship happening in churches around America, and within the home we're seeing 70% or more of young people abandoning the faith before their high school graduation because parents are not discipling their own children, then in fact the children are being discipled in institutions that have an anti-Christian agenda. And so, so to just think that we can be lazy, that we can be lethargic, that we can be disobedient, that we can just, you know, sit back and neglect all the things that God's commanded us to do and then that somehow God's just going to come along and zap everything and fix everything. I think it's naivete. Yep. I really do. I just don't see anything in Scripture that supports that kind of concept. I mean, God, God's a big God. He can do whatever He wants. Yes. Right? So I'm not going to say, oh, God couldn't send a national revival. But God acts in a way that's consistent with His nature and character. And when you study how He's acted in the past in history, I just don't think we're poised to see God move in that kind of uh, in that kind of way, because he's given us stuff to do. You know, like John the Baptist said, do works in keeping with repentance. Mm-hmm. We, we don't, we can never earn the mercy of God. That's impossible. But 
if we truly have repented, which means having a, a change of mind, heart, and direction, there will be fruit in our lives that, that indicates that that repentance has taken place. And there's never been a revival in the history of humankind that did not begin with prayer and repentance. But I don't really see a lot of prayer, number one, and I don't really see repentance. I certainly don't see the fruit of repentance. Mm. And so I feel like if we really truly had the fruit of repentance, an indication that true repentance had taken place within the Church, I'd be much more optimistic to say maybe we are on the cusp of a revival, but that's not what I'm seeing. And I agree. I'm not seeing it either. I think a lot of our listeners, if we were to be honest with ourselves, we are not seeing it. By the way, we're speaking with Israel Wayne, an author, the book that I've got, we were going to get to in the next segment, Education, Does God Have an Opinion? We're also going to be talking about some false history taught in American uh, government-run schools and how COVID is affecting education and the way parents are looking at education. But I want to go back to this idea of revival. We would love to see an awakening, a revival, but you say in that Facebook post, nothing is going to change in our society until there is a revival in the church. And what comes before a revival, as you said, repentance. So we we really, I don't know what it's going to take. I thought with our backs up against the wall, and now some churches being sued and fined by the government and be, for meeting, you know, when we're not supposed to have services, we're not supposed to um, worship Jesus, we're supposed to, you know, keep, stay out of our buildings and whatever. Um, I would think that we're being pressed right now, but it, there's only a handful, it seems, a smaller number of churches or pastors fighting back. And I think that's generally how it's been in Christendom, probably. Um, the disciples, I mean, they were only, they were only 11, 12. Uh, and so, Israel, what we're seeing is a, is a need, when we look at our culture, we're seeing a need for repentance and revival, but underneath that, as you said, at the root of this is education, the biblical worldview, and that's got to be taught at home. And then we've got this problem with a modern education system that is run by a secular government, and it is, it is anti-Christ, meaning it is so hostile toward the Christian faith and anything godly with what's being taught. It is astounding to me that we have not been resisting this and raising the red flag much, not, well, I guess, yeah, alarm bells should be going off, but parents have really been kind of going along with these gradual changes. We've got two minutes left. I would just love for you to wrap this segment up with your thoughts. Yeah, for this segment, I want to end on a positive note and say, as you hinted at, God has always worked through remnants. So the good news is we don't actually have to have the majority in terms of numbers. What we actually have to have is a separation between the compromised false church, the apostate church, and the true confessing church of Jesus Christ. And I think that's happening. You know, I think that the separation between light and darkness is becoming more distinct. So when that happens, what I think is going to happen is we're going to have a purified, smaller remnant of a church uh, and Christians who are more committed, who are more dedicated, who are more separated from the world and to the Lord, who walk in the fear of God. And I think they're going to see in their own influence, their own circle of influence, God do mighty things and do powerful things that they've never seen in their lifetime uh, because they're, they're not uh, being hindered just by the compromise of the institutional uh, seeker-friendly system, if that makes sense. So I think there are good things, but it's going to look different than what we've expected. Oh, man, we could do a whole show on (laughs) seeker-friendly systems and seeker-friendly churches, but we're not going there today. We're talking about education. I do like what you shared, though, um, in that post on your Facebook page about why there is no spiritual awakening on the horizon, and you just went through, I think, uh, uh, 10 of them, 10 reasons why, and I would love for you guys to go check this out. Part of that includes not only the Christian publishing industry, but the contemporary Christian music industry promoting shallow lyrics. And a lot of them, and even a lot of our books written by Christians in these stores, they really lack basic theological understanding and sound doctrine. That's a whole other issue. But next, we will be talking about education in the next segment. Does God have an opinion? Our guest is author Israel Wayne from FamilyRenewal.org. More coming up in just a minute on Stand Up For The Truth. 
Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today is Israel Wayne. I want you to go check out that post on his Facebook page. Um, it is Israel Wayne Author, if you search that on Facebook. And it's uh, why there is no spiritual awakening on the horizon for America and he makes some great points, just 10 points, really good points. I want you to go check it out and share it. Um, so let's get to the, your book, Education, Does God Have an Opinion? We know, well, most of us understand, we know what God's heart is to raise up godly, obedient, loving, faith-filled children. But Israel, your overview, before we get into some of the points in the book, Just share, you talk about worldview a lot, which is so important, because outside of the home and a a Christian home, kids are bombarded by every other ism and worldview that comes against the Bible and biblical truth. Go ahead. Sure. Well, first I want to define what that means, because we throw that term around a lot, but I think a lot of people don't actually know what worldview even is. Uh, a worldview is like a set of lenses. If you think of, say, a colored pair of sunglasses with red lenses or blue lenses, if, if you look out those sunglasses at the world around you, you see the world differently based on the color of the lenses through which you look. And those lenses of our worldview are shaped by our experience, by our education, by our parents, by the books we've read, and the music we've listened to, just all the cultural influences that impact us growing up, and they shape the way that we see the world. So, you know, when you come to any particular issue, whether it's a political issue or a religious issue, sometimes you think, why is it that people see things so differently than I do? Why is it they can be 180 degrees on the opposite side of an issue? That doesn't make sense to me. Well, it's their worldview, and those glasses are shaped largely by two forces, our culture and our experience. Hmm. And so you take education, for example. Most Christians' view of education has been shaped by our culture, by what people around us do and have done for, through, throughout time, and then also uh, what our experience was growing up. And so when we think of education, we tend to think of it, for most American uh, citizens, they think of it as the American public school system or the government-run school system. And, and that's their paradigm. That's, that's what comes to mind when they think of education. My view is Christians should not be driven by culture and by their experience because those things can be false and they can be misleading. Uh, the culture gets it wrong sometimes, let me put it that way, and our experience can betray us. So rather than being driven by culture and experience, we should be driven by theology. And I believe that there is a biblical theology of everything. There's a biblical theology of economics and mm-hmm. of law and government and uh, you know a- any topic that you could pick. And the Bible speaks specifically to the issue of education, but most Christians have never really sought it out. They've never intentionally gone to the Scripture to say, what does God say about education? So I wrote this book called Education, Does God Have an Opinion?, And I go through very systematically what God says about it. So not my opinion versus your opinion, but what does the Word of God say about the topic of education? And it's been very eye-opening for even a lot of pastors who say, I went to seminary and I never heard anything about this. This really changed my whole worldview as it relates to education because I had just had an Americanized worldview and not really a biblical worldview as it related to education. Okay, I would love for you to expound on what you just shared, because what we're seeing in our culture today, this, this American Christianity, it's, it's a cultural, but yet it's very similar to our country, Americanized. It's not necessarily true biblical Christianity. So it's, share what you just, I mean, share a little bit more about what you just pointed out. Right. Well, for example— you know, when I ask people, what do you think of when you think of the word school, a lot of times uh, I'll say, close your eyes and, and tell me what comes to, to mind when you think of, like, education. Uh, they'll say, I see a big brick building <laughs> and, you know, a football field. And if I, I close my eyes, I, I you know, go in the brick building and there's hallways and there's lockers and then there's classrooms. And inside the classroom, there's a, a chalkboard and there's school desks and there's textbooks and there's a globe and an American flag and 
And I said, okay, that's what you think of when you think of education. Okay, now show me in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, where any of those things are mentioned. Where are any of those things mentioned in the Bible? And they go, well, I don't know. I, I can't think of where any of those things are mentioned in the Bible. And I say, okay, so your whole conception of education is predicated on your experience. Hmm. Um, and so what if we were just to, you know, start, if you and I were on an abandoned island, just the two of us, and we had a, uh, just a Bible and a lot of time, because I don't know how to build a boat, so we'd be there for a while. Uh, <laughs> what would, and we said, let's do a study on education. What would education look like if we just started with Scripture? Uh, we would come to a very radically different conclusion of what education should look like than the American government school system, because the the uh, the scripture doesn't promote that kind of concept whatsoever. It has a very different paradigm that it promotes. And absolutely. And uh, we uh, talked yesterday with uh, our, a guest about the spirit of the Antichrist, and you think, well, wait, I, that's just like a thing in Revelation that you hear coming in the end days. Well, the the spirit of lawlessness and the spirit of the Antichrist has been just growing and moving throughout our whole lifetimes, but now we're seeing it just blatantly, flat out, and, and just all over our culture, all over our country. It's in every system, and every system is not conducive or supportive of the biblical worldview. And I know we throw that word around a lot. I love how you opened up Chapter 1, Israel, um, a quote about the purpose of an education. It says, If our children are going to be able to stand against the thoughts and ideas of the 21st century and be able to defend their faith— we must be teaching, equipping, and preparing them now. Nothing is of greater importance. All of life should be understood from the Christian worldview. But we're just trying to—a lot of parents, I think, they, they want to get their kids just to survive public schools. <laughs> and you're talking about here defending their faith? How are they supposed to do that? I mean, you've heard the debate, right? And I would love to hear your thoughts on it about children— being missionaries in the public schools. What are your thoughts? Yeah, of course, that that model of sending our children to be salt and light or to be evangelists and missionaries in the government school system, that's been the predominant model uh, really probably since the 1950s at least. And so we actually have 70 years of history that we can go back and we can look at that model and we can test it. Mm -hmm. We can say, is that is that a model that is fruitful? And if you watch, um, you know, if, if I ask parents, do you think America is more Christian today than it was in 1950? Almost everyone would say, no, it's less Christian. Uh, well, do you think that our churches are stronger today than they were in 1950? They would say, no, the churches are not as strong as they were in 1950. Do you think that, uh, that young people are coming to Christ uh, in, in greater numbers today than they were in 1950? And they would say, no, I, I really don't think that's true. And so you say, well, what, what has been the fruit of this evangelistic effort on the part of young people? And what you see is, uh, again, I mentioned this earlier, but Pew Research and Barna Research suggests that 70% of all young people leave the Christian church before they graduate high school and say, we're never coming back. That's the fruit of it. The young people from the church are not converting the lost in the world in the public schools. The public schools are converting the church to youth, yes. to atheism and humanism. Yep. And then of those who graduate high school, the 30% who graduate high school with their faith still intact, we're told that an additional 70% of them will deny their Christian faith by the end of their freshman year of college. That's a massive fallout. So if you go K-12 in a government school, and then four years in a uh, secular higher education institution, only 9% of students can go through all of that and come out with the most basic, nominal biblical worldview still intact. That means we're, in terms of biblical beliefs, we're losing 9 out of 10 of, of all church youth with that method. And of the ones who are still in the church today, the ones whose parents are still taking them, uh, the Beamer Group says that 66% of them say we're leaving church as soon as we're old enough to make up our own minds about it. Mm -hmm. So there are no studies that show that that approach is effective, and there are lots of studies that show that it's an abysmal failure, and we should expect nothing other than that, because Scripture tells us it will be an abysmal failure. When you look at Proverbs 13:20, we're told that he who walks with wise people 
will become wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. So we see that the influence of, of the fools in the, in the government school, you know, those who say there is no God, right? The mm-hmm. teachers who say there is no God or that God is irrelevant. And, and then, you know, how Proverbs 22:15 says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, right? So, you know, it's another definition, biblical definition of a fool. When you have uh, your child placed in this environment full of not the wisdom of God, not the fear of the Lord, but of man's wisdom and, and foolishness, that the companion of fools will be destroyed. And then Paul reiterates this in 1 Corinthians 15:33, where he says, Do not be deceived. Mm-hmm. Bad company corrupts good character. And I think the reason he says don't be deceived at the front end of that is that if you're not careful, there's a really high likelihood that on that very point, you're going to be deceived. You're going to be misled. You're going to think it's the opposite. You're going to think, oh, well, I have this good Christian kid, and I'm going to send him into the school with all these bad kids, and my good Christian kid is going to make all these bad kids turn good. But that's the exact same logic of saying, you know, you as a parent have this good apple, and there's a barrel of bad apples over there. And you have a moral obligation as a Christian parent to take your good apple and throw it in the barrel of bad apples, and your good apple is going to make all the bad apples turn good. Paul says, don't be deceived, don't be misled. That's not how it works. The bad apples make the good apple turn bad. So there is a way that you can influence those lost young people in the public school, but it's the way the Scripture says it, not to become like them. You know, we don't send our kids into cults for them to influence the cults. Yes. We don't send our kids <laughs> to the mosques to convert the, the Muslims. Mm-hmm. We don't send them into you know, a, a Mormon cult to evangelize the Mormons. It's ridiculous that we do that in the government schools thinking we'll get a different outcome. The way to do it is to raise them in the fear of the Lord, to give them a truly Christian education to where they're different and distinct from the darkness. And then once they are light, then they can have an impact on the world around them. But we're sending five- and six-year-olds who aren't even Christians into these schools to be evangelists. It's just been an abysmal failure with no upside whatsoever. Now, I, let me say let me say this. Sure. There are one twosies. There are occasions where a, a friend will tell a friend about Jesus in the school and they become a Christian. I don't deny that. But I'm saying statistically there's no evidence that it works Yes, on, and, on any grand scale. As you said, we have how many years going back? Um, what did you say? 70, 70 years, years of fruit. We have 70 years of proof that children will become more like the world and a godless have a godless worldview than they will end up being Christians by going through public education. We have all this. We know this. I think a lot of parents recognize this. In fact, I want to jump over to chapter 4 and read something that Peter Marshall said, a former chaplain for the U.S. Senate. By the way, I've got the book in my hand, Education, Does God Have an Opinion? from today's guest, Israel Wayne. And Peter Marshall said, Let us not fool ourselves without Christianity, without Christian education, without principles of Christ inculcated into young life. We are simply rearing pagans. Um, something very similar, uh, Vody Bakum said uh, with, a couple years ago, he said something very similar. How could you, you know, send your kids to Caesar, <laughs> meaning the government schools, and not expect them to come out acting like Romans? So there's so much proof, as you said, Israel. I don't know what is going to convince parents. I think one of the big reasons, and we talked about this before with you, that it's because they think, well, we're paying for it. It's our, our tax dollars are going to the public schools. It's, it's free, not necessarily free, but you know what I mean? They're already putting money into this. Why should they try to teach their kids at home? They know they're not going to get a Christian education. They know they're going to be taught evolution and uh, homosexuality and, and, and sexual experimentation and, and gender confusion now, which is going on big time. And they have a hard time saying, you know, I, I, it's, it, maybe at this point it's too late. What do you think? Well, they're, statistically, they're playing Russian roulette just the opposite way. They're, they're play, playing it with, you know, five rounds in a six-round chamber uh, and hoping that their kid's going to be the exception to the rule. And they're, what it ultimately comes down to, and this is harsh, I, I get that, I understand that, and you'll have listeners who get mad at me for saying this, but at the end of the day, they don't want to pay the price 
to give their kids an exclusively Christian education. And they make all kinds of excuses of why they can't. Um, There was a survey that was done by a leading evangelical organization that I'll leave unnamed. And they they surveyed their, their, uh, it was like 300,000 people on their mailing list. And they asked, if you could give your children an exclusively Christian education through homeschooling or Christian school, uh, but you didn't have to pay for it, would you choose that? And it was over 70% who said, yes, we would definitely choose homeschooling and Christian education if we didn't have to pay for it. Wow. So I believe that all these arguments about, you know, we want our kids to be in the public school to be salt and light, I don't think most Christians actually believe that. I don't think that's actually—I think they know better. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, they know it will cost them their time, and it will cost them their money. And they just aren't willing to do that. Uh, they'll just play Russian roulette and hope that their kid turns out somehow magically. And uh, even if they're completely defying the process that Scripture commands, which is Scripture doesn't command the government to teach your children. And in fact, the Scripture never even commands the church to teach your children. Not once. I mean, in the whole New Testament, there's not one command to the church to teach your children. Hmm. There are command after command after command after command, after command uh, commands in the Scripture telling you to teach and instruct your own children. That's the biblical model. And so if we really want to experience the fruit of God's blessing, we're going to have to put in the work. Mm. It's kind of like expecting there to be a harvest in October when we didn't sow the right seed. We didn't sow any seed. We didn't even till the garden. And then we're just praying that God's going to somehow make, make a harvest in the fall. It's just not – statistically, that's not going to happen. And so I really believe that for most parents, they just don't want to – inconvenience themselves. And will it inconvenience you? Yes, it will. It will inconvenience you. A lot of parents have experienced that this year. They've been inconvenienced. Um, and many are hoping to get uninconvenienced as soon as possible. But we have a great opportunity to, to influence our own children, to disciple our own children, to pass on our own beliefs, our own faith, our own values. But it won't happen by osmosis. You actually have to be intentional, and you actually have to do it. That's why this podcast is called Stand Up for the Truth. I, it's not stand up for what is popular. It's not uh, tell people what they want to hear. It is stand up for truth. And Israel, Wayne, thank you for saying what you just said. I, it's hard because I know you get a lot of blowback and resistance from people saying, how can you say that? I love my kids and I want the best for them. And you're right. It is hard to accept the fact that a lot of parents, I think, deep down recognize and they know they are sending their kids to a hostile environment, whether that be their peers, what their teachers are saying in the classroom, whether that be the curriculum, or just the general um, atmosphere, the nature of the public school machine. They know it's not a place to really uh, grow them in the faith. In fact, it's going to test the, the little faith that they have. We talk, or you talk about keeping an eternal focus for Christ. You talk about that in chapter 5. We'll get into that in the book, Education, Does God Have an Opinion? More of what God says about education with today's guest, author Israel Wayne, coming up on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Our guest today is Israel Wayne, and actually, I do, I think I remember seeing his latest book came out last year. It's, it's, I, it might be somewhere in the building. Either that or I've seen it online, but it's called Raising Them Up, Parenting for Christians. Um, so that's available at familyrenewal.org. The one we're talking about today, does God have an opinion about education? So Israel, starting with that thought, keeping an eternal focus as Christian families, as Christian parents, and piggybacking on such an important point you shared in the last segment that it's not obviously the government's job to raise Christian kids. It's not even the church's job to raise or to teach Christian kids, children, for to educate them. I would love for you to share whatever is on your heart, starting with keeping an eternal focus. Yeah, I remember the late Larry Burkett, who taught on Christian financial principles, he started uh, Crown Financial Ministries and Christian Financial Precepts. Uh, he had a statement that he made that was really radical. Uh, he's with the Lord now, but he said this. He said, I can tell what you value. I can tell what you love. 
I can tell what you worship by looking at two things, by looking at your calendar and your checkbook. And he said, the reason is because that's your life. That's all you have. All you have is your time and your resources. Hmm. And certainly we have ideas, we have talents, we have you know, intellectual capital, etc. But all of that gets allocated through our resources, our money predominantly, and our time. So he said, how you spend your time and your money is how you spend your life. So you may say, uh, God is my number one priority, and, and my family is my number two priority. But does your calendar reflect that? Mm. Do you invest your life in the kingdom of God? Do you invest your life in your family? Uh, most people don't. They invest their money deeply in entertainment, in uh, you know vacations that are you know, maybe not even family-centric uh, in, in basically amassing toys and wealth for themselves and, and comfort and affluence and, and that kind of thing, rather than really investing in the kingdom of God uh, or, or deeply in the needs of their family. And so, you know, with that being understood, and it really is true, you have to think about it. I know not everybody will receive that immediately, but if you think about it, it really is true that, that that's our life. And, and often there's this huge disconnect between what we say we believe in and love and value and where our time actually goes and where our money actually goes. Mm. But when I talk to people and ask them, why do you not give your child a Christian education? The, the bottom line is it will cost me too much time and it will cost me too much money. And so what you're saying in essence is my life is more important to me than to spend it in that direction. I mean, that's a huge, if you think about that, that is a huge damning statement about the condition of our hearts, Mm. that we say we love our kids, but when it comes right down to it, we are not willing to make the sacrifices to invest our life, our time and our money into giving them what we believe they should have. And again, if 70% are saying, well, yeah, I'd give my kids a Christian education if I didn't have to pay for it myself out of my own pocket. What does that say? It means I would rather spend my time and my money in some other direction because that's more important to me than my child. And I've talked to a lot of people who are very successful in business, made a lot of money, and at the end of their life, none of them ever say, I wish I would have neglected my children more and spent more time at the office. Mm. Nobody ever says that. They always say the opposite. They say, I just wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have invested more in the things that were truly important. Nobody ever has regret about investing in their kids. And, and I promise you, if you invest to the best of yourself, the best of your time, the best of your money into giving your children a, a, the best opportunity to know, love, and serve Christ and to love and serve others, you will never regret that at the end of your life. But if you spend your life pursuing the things that you think were going to make you happy in the here and now, and you neglect that, and you send your children away from you for 10,800 hours between kindergarten and 12th grade to be raised by people that you don't even know, you barely even know their names, let alone really know them, you're you're totally forfeiting the greatest privilege that you can have as a parent, Mm. which is to give the best of yourself to your child. So I just would like to call our bluff on that and say, do you really love God? Do you really love your kids? Are you just giving lip service to it? Because if it's true, it will be reflected in the prioritizing of your time and your money in that direction. So I would encourage people who want to learn more about this. Again, I appreciate you mentioning my books, but Education, Does God Have an Opinion? Uh, Answers for Homeschooling, the top 25 questions critics ask. That answers all the practical questions. Well, I don't know if I, you know, how can we do this on a single income? I don't know if I'm educated enough. What about socialization? What about salt and light? How do you choose a curriculum? How do I get started? Won't my kids miss out on things? I answer all those questions and the answers for homeschooling books. Those books are available on my website, which is familyrenewal.org. If you go to familyrenewal.org, go to the store. You can buy those books and others. My my book, Raising Them Up, Parenting for Christians, is all about how do you disciple your kids in, in the fear of the Lord. I have a lot of resources for families to help the parents especially learn how to think biblically about these issues mm. because you can't pass on to your kids what you don't have. So first you have to get a biblical world. Amen. View, and then you have to be able to transfer it 
to uh, your children. So please visit our website, familyrenewal.org, and we'd be glad to get these resources. If you buy any books off of our website, I'll sign them personally for you, something Amazon won't do for you, <laughs> and uh, we want to help equip you to equip your children to be strong in the faith. Israel, thank you uh, for convicting us, and I mean us. Um, when you said those two words, your calendar and your checkbook, I thought of mine. I thought, okay, what's on my calendar and what's in my checkbook? Um, that reveals what's important to us, and I, I often humorously refer to this country and the church as the United States of Entertainment, and it's, it's not a joke. We spend so much time and money and focus with entertainment. What is entertainment? Does that have any lasting eternal value? No. I want to share a quote from Ken Ham that you've got in your book, um, Education Does God Have an Opinion, about the biblical worldview. He said, people need to be brought back to thinking correctly by building their thinking on the only true foundation, the creator of all things. I call this thinking Christian. There is a correct Christian way of thinking about geology, biology, astronomy, physics, chemistry, art, music, psychology, history, language, politics, etc. And this correct way must start with the revealed word of the creator God and thus his foundational principles. That's what you are saying this morning. We've got to start as Christian parents, families, individuals, citizens, with the biblical worldview, the, the truth of God's Word, because there is so much coming against the truth. They have redefined what truth is today. Um, we've got five minutes left, and I just want to get your take on a couple things that are happening in our culture. We know there's a gender confusion. There's a gender war, a gender surrender. One of our guests in the past has referred to this as um, they are now trying to confuse kids and trying to actually take and control these kids from the youngest of ages. In the House of Representatives yesterday, Nancy Pelosi in the House made a move to actually ban the words. This is a war on words now. They're change words. They want to change the thinking. They want to ban the words father, mother, son, daughter, and other, quote, gendered words. There's a purpose in doing all this. Israel, I would just love to hear your thoughts on this redefining the truth and trying to just redefine culture, really. Yeah, I mean, when, when words lose their meaning, people lose their liberty. And this is not merely gender confusion. It's gender rebellion. Mm, yes. People are saying that God does not have the right to make the rules. He doesn't have the right to define gender. He doesn't have the right to be the authority that we can decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. It goes all the way back to the original sin in the garden. It was the original temptation of you can be like God, and your eyes will be opened, and you can decide for yourself what is right and wrong. You don't have to listen to what God says. And there's no way that a holy, righteous God can allow a society to rebel against him in that way and, and not be just. Mm. And when we look at Romans 1 and what Paul says happens to a society, there's a downward spiral. And it says that they, they in the beginning, it just says that they didn't think it was important to retain the knowledge of God. They just didn't think that was important, so they threw it out. And so what had happened, God gave them over to their foolish way of thinking, and then they began to live in rampant depravity, and it spirals down from there, and you eventually have the breakdown of society. So the only thing that stops that, of course, is a, uh, a return to truth. You know, at a certain point, uh, somebody's going to have to stand up and say, the emperor has no clothes. There are genders. There is distinction between male and female. In the beginning, he created them male and female mm -hmm. in the image of God. And what I see is increasingly the church is less willing to do that. I mean, what was that uh, religious cleric that just prayed, uh, you know, and saying amen and ah women and ah woman, <laughs> yeah, amen and amen and a woman, amen and a woman. It's yeah. something I mean, like that. Good grief! Uh, 
you know, and, and this is coming from supposed clergy. Um, you know, we've just got to uh, stop accommodating the world. And, and people are like, well, we don't want to offend anybody. But the fact is, um, true. you know, you, if you tell somebody that they have terminal cancer, they're not going to like that, right? <laughs> they might consider that to be offensive, but they need to know it. It's the truth. And so when we say that this is a sin against the holy God, we're not hating on the person. The same way the doctor says you have cancer isn't hating on the person. We're trying to help them. Mm-hmm. But you can't help someone by denying the truth. And so, you know, again, we have to know what is right. We have to know what is true for ourselves. And we have to be willing to teach that systematically to our children. And unfortunately, a lot of people have expected the church to do it for them. They've expected a half hour of junior church or Sunday school or or youth group to fix their kid and disciple their kid. And they, they think, well, my, my kid shows up at you know Sunday school and watches Veggie Tales, they'll be fine. Uh, it's, it's not going to cut it. Mm-hmm. You actually have to systematically disciple your child in biblical theology to teach them how to think about the important issues of life. So many wise words and important words, Israel. Thank you, especially the, stop accommodating the world. We've got to speak up. And gender rebellion is the most accurate, I think, description. Yes, gender rebellion. That's what's going on, because if you remove the existence of God and his being the creator, then anything goes, right? It starts with gender, it starts with, you know, then it goes to family, marriage, and everything else. So that's what we're seeing in our culture. Uh, Truth proclaimers and defenders, we are calling on you to stand strong, be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. Israel Wayne, the website again is familyrenewal.org. We'll put the links in today's podcast. Thank you for your time today, brother. I appreciate your work. Keep fighting the good fight. Thank you, David. God bless you. All right. God bless you. Uh, When we come back, we'll let you know our guests the rest of this week and seven things I've learned over the last year. Next on Stand Up For The Truth. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Okay, seven things I've learned in 2020. I saw this online. I said, that is so good. Dustin Benge, I think, is the originator. Number one, God is still sovereign. Number two, Christ is still reigning. Number three, the Spirit is still interceding. Number four, the church is still essential. Number five, Satan is still deceiving. Number six, the gospel is still saving. And number seven, glory is still coming. Be ready, friends, this year uh, for whatever may come down the road. Tomorrow you will hear from Patrick Wood. And Thursday, no relation, Dr. Andy Woods, (laughs) plural, he'll be here. It's going to be a fascinating day uh, to catch up on what's been happening this week uh, culturally in the church and politically. And Friday, Elijah Abraham will be back with us. So thankful to have uh, him come back on. It's been a while. Um, Mike Gendron, uh, getting him back uh, next week and uh, others. Thank you, guys. Um, We're also connecting with Heidi St. John, um, Steve Smotherman, who uh, just got fined $10,000 out in New Mexico for having the audacity to hold a Christmas Eve service at Legacy Church. We'll hopefully get him back on to tell his story and catch up. But thank you for your support, your prayers. As always, God bless you, and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.